Hello and welcome to the PTP Podcast. Part of the holiday season is spending time with family members that we may not see all that often. You know, most families have members that are not Christians, and this might be the only time of the year that we have to influence them for Christ. Sometimes, these situations are uncomfortable, and we just don't know what to say or what to do. This week's podcast features a short, practical lesson from Brother Hiram Kemp, where he provides seven suggestions that we should keep in our minds as we try to lead family members to Christ. So often, we act like the older brother in Luke 15, or a modern-day Jonah that doesn't want to evangelize to our own sets of Ninevites. Hiram's suggestions are full of biblical teachings that encourage us to do better. We've included his seven tips in the show notes, and it might be valuable for you to handwrite these before attending family events over the next couple of weeks so the ideas will be fresh on your mind. We pray for you and your family, and we hope that you find this lesson beneficial. Let's listen. Some of the worst news that we can receive would be that one of our family members has passed from this life, even though we know that that is a reality. One day they will pass if the Lord doesn't come first. Hebrews 9:27 says it's appointed unto man once to die. And after this, the judgment, there's a separate situation, though, when a family member not only leaves this world, but does so without being clothed in Christ. That bothers us to no end. And I'm sure that's why you're all here this afternoon, because we want to know how can we convert our family members? How can we lead them to Christ? Before we begin, though, it's important to see that problems between family and religion are not new. They didn't start with us. Genesis chapter 4, the first murder that we have in the Bible in human history, for that matter, was begun because two brothers disagreed or there was a jealousy over worship styles and how do you approach God. Numbers chapter 12, Miriam, though she was a prophetess and a woman of God, gets into conflict with her brother Moses because he seems to have a relationship with God that she doesn't enjoy. In Romans chapter 9, Paul talks about the anguish and sorrow in his heart over his kinsmen in the flesh, other Jews who are not in a right relationship with Christ. In fact, in Romans 9, 2 and 3, Paul says, I wish that I was accursed so that these individuals might be saved. Paul was concerned about his family. But above all these, I think about Jesus. Opening chapters in John and opening chapter of the gospel of John, John chapter one, verse 11, the Bible says he came into his own, his own received him not. And so the Jewish nation at large rejected Jesus, but I'm sure there was a special sting as it related to the rejection he received from his family. John chapter 7, it said that his brothers tempted him, go up to the Feast of Tabernacles if you really are the Christ. No man would do these miracles in secret. And John adds this in chapter 7 and verse 5, for even his brethren did not believe in him. So if you have family members who don't believe the Bible or don't believe the way that you do, don't feel like you're in a minority, you're in a special case, this goes all the way back to the Bible, as far back as Genesis chapter 4. Some of our family members have different reasons for not believing in God. Some of them are skeptical about religion altogether. They don't believe in God or any type of religious belief, and so they struggle with that. Still, there are others who may belong to a denomination or a separate religious group and claim to be right. And we wrestle with them about what does the Bible really say versus what they've been taught and how can we get this thing right and help them along the way. And then there's a third category of family members And these are those that have been burned by the church or burned by religion in some way. 
And they've taken this out on God and on the church. And as a result, they want nothing to do with Christianity at all. They don't want you to bring up the Bible. And how can we reach those folks? Before we launch into the lesson, I just want to tell you that there's a few things we need to focus on. Really one thing, and that is time. Think about how long eternity is and think about individuals that will be separated from God and how much we want them to be saved and allow that to be our motivation, our motivation for reaching out to them. I don't claim to be an expert on how to convert family members. I want to give you seven concepts, though, and there'll be one word concepts and we'll elaborate on them. Seven concepts and some thoughts on how you might be able to convert or to reach out and lead a family member to Christ. And so let's begin together. Number one, courage. Number one, courage. Joshua took over for Moses and he's leading the children of Israel into the promised land of Canaan. Joshua chapter one and verse nine, the writer says, have not I commanded you as God is speaking to Joshua, be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be dismayed for the Lord. Your God is with you wherever you go. Do you want to lead family members to Christ? I assume you do. You are going to have to develop courage. Now, what type of courage? The courage I'm discussing here is the courage to actually bring up the conversation. You know that feeling that you get when you say, I really want to talk to him about Christ. And then all of a sudden you get another feeling that says, maybe not right now. That's not such a good idea, right? You're going to have to overcome that feeling. You're going to have to overcome that anxiety, that second guessing and engage them in the most important conversation that you're ever going to have with them. This is going to take some courage on your part. I think about some people in the Bible in John chapter one. We all know Peter. He preaches the great sermon on Pentecost in Acts chapter two. But it was his brother, Andrew, John chapter one, verse 40, who says, we found him who is called the Messiah, which is interpreted the Christ who says, come along and let's see about this. Philip, every time we read about Philip in our New Testament, he was bringing someone or something to Jesus. Same chapter, John chapter one, verse 45, Philip finds Nathanael and says, we found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. And you remember Nathanael's response, can any good thing arise out of Nazareth? And Philip says, come and see. That's what you're going to have to say to your family members. That's what I have to say to mine. Encourage them. Would you just investigate with me? But that's going to take some courage. It's going to take us getting out of our comfort zone and saying to them, there is something that I want to talk with you about. Go ahead and turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. And this is an important concept about courage. And I just want to put this one out there because this is a hurdle that each one of us, we we might as well get this one out of the way if we're going to reach family members. And that is we must both accept and anticipate temporary and possibly permanent rejection from family members. This is something we just need to get into our system. Matthew 10, verse 34, Jesus says, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. I'm coming to set a man at variance against his father, daughter against a mother, daughter-in-law against a mother-in-law, verse 36, and a man's foes will be they of his own household. And so there's a sense in which Jesus says there's going to be some division. If that's going to be my rationale or my excuse for not reaching out to family, I haven't stared long enough at the New Testament. Brethren, it's going to take courage. Before we move on to the next point, let me mention something about courage. Courage to boast freely about what God is doing in you and through you. Paul says that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can even ask or think according to the power that works in us. Talk to your family members about, hey, what's going on at the congregation? Boast about the church and the good things that God is doing. 
I read about a man in Luke 8 that was demon possessed. Jesus heals this man and he begs and pleads to go to G- go with Jesus. Luke 8, 39, Jesus says, go back and tell your family members all that I've done for you. The woman at the well, John chapter 4, verse 29, Jesus engages her about worship and about being the Messiah. And she goes and tells her entire town, let me tell you about a man who's told me everything I've ever done. Use your past as leverage. That's what Paul did. Acts 22, before the Jewish mob, Paul says, I was brought up in Cilicia, no mean city, raised at the feet of Gamaliel. Paul says, you know these things about me and you know my past before this. I persecuted this way to the death. I wouldn't have become a Christian if it was not true. Your family members know you. You say, well, that's part of the problem. Family brings out the best in us and also the worst in us. No, Paul says, as a matter of fact, that's leverage. Say to your family members, you know I was raised in this religion. You know I went to the Baptist church. I'm telling you, the reason why I converted is not because I like the pews there better. It's because this is true. Paul says, who was before a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord Jesus was exceedingly abundant in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm chief. Now, in verse 16, Paul says that in me, he might show forth a pattern of long suffering for everyone who would hereafter believe into everlasting life. Why is Paul saying that? Because God looked down from heaven and found the worst man in the first century and said, now, if I can work with him. There'll never be anybody to arise to say, I'm too bad. God can't save me. And that's what we need to introduce to our family and friends. Have the courage to use your past as leverage. We won't be able to spend as much time on the others. But number two, compassion. Number two, have compassion. Luke chapter 10, Jesus tells the parable of the good Samaritan. Chapter 10, verse 33, he says, but a Samaritan in contrast to the Levite and in contrast to the priest who walked by, but a Samaritan as he journeyed on the way, when he came past, he saw him and he had compassion on him. If you want to reach out to family members, it's going to take compassion. Listen, evangelism is not, I'm right, you're wrong. And I would love to tell you about it. It's not evangelism. Evangelism says, I know the one who has the answers and let's go, let's go to him and see what the Bible says. Ephesians 4.15 says, but speaking the truth, how? We need to do it in love. Doesn't mean we excuse wrong. Doesn't mean we pass over sin. But we need to reach out to individuals with compassion, especially our family members. This word for compassion in Luke 10 and verse 33 is mentioned 12 times in the New Testament. And always it's referring to Jesus, either something someone felt about Jesus or what Jesus did for someone else. If when we reach out to our family members with the gospel, we think about anything else except compassion first, that they're lost, that they're apathetic toward religion, that they're living in sin. If anything wells up in us besides compassion first, we've gotten this out of order. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8 and 1, knowledge puffs up. And a lot of times we've engaged our family members with, let me show you who's right. And that doesn't work. It's going to take compassion. Look at Acts 17, Acts 17 and verse 23. Paul was preaching in Athens or before he began to preach, the Bible says that this is what he told the multitudes. As I passed by, I beheld your devotions and I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Him, therefore, whom you ignorantly worship. This is the God I declare to you. 
have compassion to listen. That does not mean that you endorse error. But if we continuously throw out Bible verses without pausing for a second to listen, we may be guilty of prescribing the wrong medicine for the wrong ailment. I know that all of the Bible is inspired and all of it is true. But if in Athens, Paul preaches a sermon about the law, he misses the boat. If he preaches a lesson in Athens about the supremacy of Christ over the Levitical sacrifices, as true as that might be, that's out of context here. He has compassion. He listens to those folks. And then he says, now I can work with you. Have you listened to your family members, what they believe, why they believe it? What do they practice? Have compassion enough to see that folks can change. You remember what Jonah's problem was, right? Jonah chapter one, God says, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it because their wickedness had come up before me. And you know what Jonah thought? Those wicked Ninevites, just let them perish. In Acts chapter nine, Jesus appears to Saul. He says, Ananias, go preach to him. Ananias says, Lord, I've heard about that man. I know how he is. I don't want to go preach to him. Acts chapter 10, arise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter says that food has always been unclean. It will always be unclean. And maybe we think that way about our family members. Have compassion to see that they can change. You say, well, Uncle Pete's got a drinking problem. He's always had a drinking problem. He will never change. My little cousin, she's promiscuous. That's just how she is. She can't be reached. There's no way you're ever going to get through to her. Oh, Aunt Mary's been going down to the Baptist or the community church for years and years. And like Jonah, we have our own set of Ninevites who we just sort of write off and say, that's just how those folks are. They're in that camp. And we sort of excuse it and accept the fact that they're lost. If we want to lead them to Christ, we must never accept. We must never accept that they're lost. Have compassion and reach out to them. Number three. Consistency. Consistency. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9, Paul says, Be not weary in well-doing, for we'll reap in due season if we faint not. You know, over and over again throughout the New Testament, evangelism is likened to farming. It's never likened to fast food. It takes a long time. It will take numerous contacts. You say, well, I went and preached to them once and I told them about it and they didn't, they didn't get it. And so I'm going on my way. It will take time to reach our family members. I saw something on a business website. It said it takes up to seven to 13 contacts to get a sale for a salesman. Preacher in Jacksonville, Florida, lived there. He's passed on his reward. Now, Wallace Maxwell, he wrote a little book on evangelism called Soul Winning Concepts. And in that book, he says it takes up to 30 to 20 invitations for a person to at least agree to come to the assembly one time. That's not about conversion, just to come to the assembly one time. How long do you think it's going to take before a family member says, I agree to study the Bible with you? And how long will you continue to persist and to question and to invite before you quit? When Jesus walked on the road of Emmaus with two, of his, with two of his disciples in Luke 24 and 25, he says, you foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. They were slow of heart. But do you know what Jesus kept doing? He kept teaching, kept suggesting. He kept pointing them back to scriptures. It may take 20 times, but we shouldn't approach family members like, you know what? I'm on a guilt trip with evangelism. I heard a sermon. I'm going to go talk to them about this and I can check that off my list. Well, I mentioned it once. That ought to be good enough. 
consistently going back, consistently saying to them, you know that there's a sickness called sin and you have it. I want to help you. Would you like to study the Bible with me? Continuously inviting them to the worship service, giving tracts that you think might apply. If you hear a sermon, sharing a blog post with them or a Facebook message about the church, about the New Testament, consistency to the degree that we give up is to that degree that we'll be failures with our family members. Who have you given up on in your family? Who have you said, you know what, I've tried for 10, 20 years with them, but in my family, we sort of agreed, you know, we just don't talk about that anymore. Because every time we do, there's a fight and then they get mad. You know, sometimes people have to get mad before they obey the truth. It's not a problem if people get upset. Sometimes that has to happen. But we need to be consistent. I believe this is number four, avoid compromise. This may be the biggest one in my mind, at least, when, it, when I think about converting family members. We must avoid compromise. If you turn, the, turn your Bible to Numbers chapter 22, you're going to read about a man named Balaam. He was a sorry prophet, an animal abuser, and he had anger issues. Numbers 22, though, in verse 18, he does say something that is quite remarkable. He makes a great statement concerning being bought out by Balak, the king of Moab, to curse the Israelites. He says, though Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or to do more. We need to avoid compromises. We would reach out to our family members, and I mean avoid it in three areas. Number one, avoid compromise spiritually. We must avoid it here because this is what happens. Sometimes a person says, look, I want to convert. I want to convert my children. They were brought up in the church or maybe they left or maybe my aunt or something. And I go on vacation with them and it's tempting to compromise spiritually. I may say, you know what? I'm not going to go back tonight. I normally would go back to evening worship, but these are my family members. I see them once a year and I, I, I won't go back tonight. I'll sleep in. I'm not going to go to Bible class because, I mean, I'm among family. We're on vacation. I don't want to seem like a, I don't want to seem like a Jesus freak or holier than thou. And so we compromise. We surrender. You may say, you know what? I'm talking to them and, and they know what I mean. We won't argue about the small things and we use terms loosely. Don't say things like, well, you know, the Christians or churches in general, we must not compromise spiritually. Use terminology the way the New Testament does. But number two, we must not compromise morally. You say, I would never watch this movie on my own, but I'm, among, I'm at their house, they're watching this, and so it's all right. It's, it's, it's a little, it's funny. There's some funny lines in it. I wouldn't share this Facebook post normally, but this is, this is cute. And so we sort of look on and look over. To the degree that we make those compromises, what we communicate to them in no uncertain terms is this. Christianity is not that important. And though I would like you to be saved, it's really no big deal. Philippians 1 and verse 10, Paul says, approve of things that are excellent. And we need to make sure that we, we do that. And then in the third place, we must not compromise godliness. I think sometimes when talking to family members about the church and about the truth, we develop an attitude that we wouldn't develop or reach out to anybody else with. We may become short, sarcastic and rude, and we cover it this way. Well, that's my family. I can deal with them this way. Look at Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6. Paul says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you might know how you ought to answer every man. Do you know what that Greek word means in Colossians 4 and verse 6? Always? Yeah, you do. It means always. 
It means even when you're talking to family members, you don't have a license to step away from godliness because, well, this is my aunt. And sometimes I just have to put it this way to her. You know, how could somebody believe something as foolish as this doctrine that you believe? Or how could you not believe in this? And we think we can compromise godliness because after all, it's, it's my family. Avoid compromise if you want to reach family. Avoid it as it will relate to godliness. Avoid it as it will relate to spiritual matters and your convictions and avoid it morally. Don't give in to it. Be God's person regardless of the climate, regardless of the circumstances. Number five, think about the cure. Luke chapter five and verse 31, Jesus says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance or verse 31. They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. Verse 32, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Your family members, my family members, they won't realize that they're sick until we tell them. You can show them how great the prescription is, the gospel. But a man does not care about the remedy until he realizes that he's in need of it. And so we need to introduce them to this fact, but realize what the remedy is. The remedy is the gospel. And sometimes we get this mixed up. You may have a homosexual family member and you say, oh, I just can't wait today. Get out of this business. And you may try to set them up with other guys. Listen, the sin of homosexuality is not going to be cured just by meeting another guy. And even if it is, guess what they're still in until they obey the gospel. They're still in sin. You see, the cure for our family member's illness it's the cure that we still need. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. Romans 1.16 says, the power of God unto salvation is nothing else but the gospel. And we need to be constantly pointing our family members to the cure that is Jesus Christ and allowing them to see Jesus for all that he is. There's a temptation to think it's me versus them. When you talk to family members about Christianity, as long as you can keep it in their mind and in your mind that it's Jesus and them and remove yourself out of the way and get them to the cure that is Jesus Christ, the better off you'll be. The longer we're Christians, and this is true for everybody in this room, the longer we're Christians, the more we think that our transformation was immediate. And it really wasn't. The longer you're a Christian, the further away you are from the day you were converted, the more you look back and you say, well, I got it this quick. And after that, I was on my way. And why can't they get it as easy? And we trick ourselves into believing. I realize, and I'll talk about that next, that conversion is an immediate act when a person obeys the gospel. But the transformation process takes a long time. It takes time. But the further I get away from my initial conversion, the more likely I am to become the elder brother of Luke 15. And I must guard against that and point to Jesus as the cure for the issue. Number six, conversion. Romans six and verse 17, Paul says, you were the servants of sin, but you've obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine, which was delivered to you. There are three people or at least three entities, I would say, involved in the conversion process. That is number one, the person doing the teaching. That would be you if you're leading this family member. Number two, the one being taught. But then number three, there's the God in heaven that works through his word and through his providence to bring people to the point of obeying the gospel. Not against their will, obviously, no miraculous operation outside from the Bible. But if in trying to reach out to family members, we think it's all might, we think it's all up to us, we're going to become discouraged and quit sooner than we should. Paul would say it this way, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. That is, we have the treasure, brethren. We are not the treasure. 
And there's a temptation to think, I need all of the right arguments. And maybe you thought I was going to bring some curriculum and all of that's good. But that's not what converts a man. We may think that if I have all of the right stuff or why don't you go convert my family members? I think you could do a better job, whatever it might be. Conversion involves all three parties. And we can't make anybody do anything. They have to be willing and wanting to do this for themselves. Three times in the book of Acts, and this actually happens in three chapters in a row. Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 9, and Acts chapter 10. God has to make his servant or push them along to go and teach the individual. Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch. He says, Philip, go preach to him. Acts chapter 9, Ananias. He says, go to Saul. Acts chapter 10, Peter. Go and preach. And God's saying the same thing to us. God will not work without us, but also realize that we can't work without him. Conversion takes all three parties in cooperation. And be encouraged as you reach out to family members that you're not working alone and allow that to encourage you. The last one to be confidence today. If you don't think that you'll ever convert family members, guess what? You won't. If you say in your heart, there are some people hiring in my family, I'm telling you, I've heard what you said today, but they are beyond conversion. They'll never be converted. Well, at least not through you, maybe somebody else, but it won't be you. Paul says, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We need our confidence renewed if we would reach out and be able to convert our family members. Number one, confidence renewed in God and in the power of his word. Do you believe that the Bible can change a man's heart, no matter how black and dark it is, no matter how hard it is? Are you convicted that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation? Second Timothy 1.12, Paul says, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded. He's able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. Paul was confident in who God was. Number two, confidence in people. We sometimes lose confidence that people want to or are willing to do the right thing. Remove that from your mind and see that people often when presented with the truth in a loving way are willing to change. If people know that you love them, they will let you tell them anything. It doesn't, I'm not saying they always believe you, but if they know you love them, they'll be willing to change or at least to give you a listening ear. Don't lose confidence in people. Acts 26 and verse 27, Paul's preaching to Agrippa. And do you know what he says to Agrippa? I know you believe the prophets. He says, I believe the message is believable. And Agrippa, I have confidence in you that you will believe it. Do you believe the prophets, Agrippa? He says, I know you believe it. And we should reason with family this way. I know you're intelligent. I know you want to do the right thing. Do you see the simplicity of the New Testament? I know you want to believe it. Renew confidence in yourself. Philippians 4, 19, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that would include engaging my family members in religious discussion and talking to them about the gospel. There's a promise that God makes in his word, Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. And he talks about as the rain comes down and the sun from heaven and returns not there, but waters the earth and makes it bring forth into bud So shall my word be which shall go forth out of my mouth. It will not return to me void, but it will accomplish that for which I've sent and prosper in the thing where I please. Do you have confidence in the word of God? I guess we're all here because we want to reach family. And we would like for them to be saved. And I wish I could tell you, you would always be successful in that. But you know better than that and I know better. 
2013, well, 2009, I was baptized when I was in college in Daytona Beach. About that same time, both of my brothers obeyed the gospel. I have a brother, he's a year older than I am, and I have a younger brother, or a younger brother that was about two years younger than me. July 20th, 2013, I was working at Taco Bell, and I received a call. My aunt said, you might want to call your mom and call her in a hurry. Something's happened. Long story short, I received a call. My brother was killed in Miami. He wasn't faithful like he should have been. At one point he was, but then soon he fell away. And I've often thought about this idea that he's died and he's been outside of Christ. And so it's not always a happy ending. But I know a woman, she had three boys, never was religious in her life. Send them to different denominations from time to time, but never went herself, never showed any interest in Christianity. In fact, there was a time in which she was involved in a homosexual relationship for seven long years. And though pushed and though prodded, wouldn't want to hear the gospel. Lost her son. Freak accident. Violent. Over time, invited over and over again. And finally, she decided to come. And in March of last year, she obeyed the gospel. And that was my mother. And so I know that sometimes we say, can't convert folks, can't reach out to folks, might as well give up. John 7 and verse 5 says, Jesus' brothers didn't believe on him. In Acts chapter 1, there they are in the upper room with the 120. What was the difference? 1 Corinthians 15, 7 says, James, he saw the resurrected Lord. And I suppose it had an eternal difference in his life. You want to convert family members, they must see the resurrected Lord, the resurrected Lord living in our lives. John 12, 21, the Greeks come to Philip and they say, sirs, we would see Jesus. And if our family members ever see him clearly enough through us, if they see the compassion, the consistency, I'm telling you, there's the possibility that they might convert. I know there's always, there's not always a happy ending, but no one will ever be able to convince me that anybody in our families is beyond reach. You must not give up. You must not quit continue to encourage, continue to convict, and maybe one day they'll turn to him. Thanks for your kind attention this afternoon. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening. We would appreciate it if you would share this podcast with your friends and leave us a review on Apple iTunes or Google Play. For more PTP information, visit polishingthepulpit.com or search for Polishing the Pulpit on Facebook.